Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What's up, Dolphins, and welcome into the Wednesday, January the 30th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, this is going to be a fun one. We've got Mark Schofield of Locked On Patriots to discuss Brian Flores, Chad O'Shea, the Senior Bowl, quarterbacks in the draft, and so, so, so much more. But first, really quick, Subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Follow me on Twitter, at NFL. Check out LockedOnDolphins.com, the number one blog in the Locked On Network. And of course, the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts, like the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast and Locked On Patriots Podcast for all the local and national coverage of all of your favorite teams. I don't want to waste any more time without Mark. Let's go ahead and jump right in. That's another Miami Dolphins And first down on today's Locked On Dolphins podcast is brought to you by MyBookie, where you play, you win, you get paid. And just real quick before I turn things over to that interview with Mark Schofield, the Dolphins coaching staff is rounding out almost to its entirety up on LockedOnDolphins.com right now. You guys can find the bios and coaching histories of all the coaches in Miami. The column is titled Speed Dating 2019 Miami Dolphins Coaches Edition. Let's go ahead and jump right into this thing with Mark Schofield. And joining the podcast now is a longtime friend of the show. He's part of the Locked On Podcast Network as the host of Locked On Patriots. You guys can find his work all over the place at Inside the Pylon, Pro Football Weekly, The Score, and Big Blue View. You can also probably find him listening to Africa by by Toto somewhere, rather. He is at Mark Schofield on Twitter. Mark, what's up, man? Travis, buddy, always a blast to be with you, my friend. Excited to talk to you about I, I know we've got a loaded slate here, so kind of chomping at the bit to dive in. Yeah, I can't wait either because we have so much news with this coaching staff, and who better to get than Mark on the podcast here? And I won't bring up our last podcast, which was Before the Miracle, which I guess you're laughing now like you do every single year at us. But let's go ahead and move on and talk about the guy that's coming south to Miami to coach this Dolphins team in 2019, Brian Flores. I just want to kind of give you the floor here. I have a few questions. Your thoughts about him in general. Tell me why you think he will work, what you think he would do that would make it not work, and maybe some of the positives and negatives with Brian Flores as a head coach in Miami. Well, Travis, what's always interesting about the idea of coaches leaving the Belichick umbrella is whether they're going to have sort of the mental aptitude and sort of the intestinal fortitude, we'll say, to sort of take over the shop and run everything. Um, we see this sometimes from time to time where a coach will leave the Belichick tree, the Belichick umbrella. And because Belichick has his hands in everything, he's a very hands-on head coach. Sometimes they don't really have the level of experience to go on and take that full load on themselves. I mean, we saw, for example, you know, Josh McDaniels had some success early and then it kind of petered out. Um, Bill O'Brien, obviously, he went to Penn State, so he had a little bit of an experience running the shop himself. Romeo Cornell, Charlie Weiss, varying levels of success. I, I think what's sort of different about Flores is we've seen in the defense this year sort of a complete buy-in into what he's done as a defensive play caller. And you can't even call him the defensive coordinator because the Patriots, they don't give you that title right away. You have to earn it as a defensive play caller first. 
But look at what he's done with this defense. You know, he's made it a more aggressive unit. It's been a more functional unit. They've identified in some players the ability to sort of mix and match in the secondary. And they lucked out in the sense of getting J.C. Jackson, the undrafted free agent out of Maryland, who I think has given them some flexibility in the back half of that defense, particularly down the stretch, where they've done some unpatriots things. Whereas in the past, you might see them put their best corner on, you know, wide receiver two, leave them on an island, and then get their second best corner on wide receiver one with safety help. They don't have to do that now uh, because of the flexibility they have. They're more aggressive up front. They've done some different things schematically. We haven't seen a ton from Belichick in the past, the uh, radar or amoeba alignment where they take Trey Flowers, their best edge rusher, they kick him inside, and they go basically with one down lineman, and they move everybody else around. That confuses offensive lines. It confuses the quarterbacks. They harassed Kirk Cousins with that look. And that stems back to what he did even in the preseason. They were more aggressive in the preseason calling blitzes. They got the buy-in from guys like Dante Hightower and Devin McCourty, some veteran players on the defensive side of the ball. And so what that tells me is he's going to be more of a player's coach, more of a, a guy that you might get that buy-in, that critical buy-in um, from your veterans, um, from some of the more established players that's necessary during a transition period. If you look at Matt Patricia and his transition period from defensive coordinator with New England now to the Detroit Lions, there was friction at times between the players and the head coach because of perhaps the way he handled things. I think you're going to see a different scenario down in Miami. And I will tell you that Patriots fans by and large believe in this guy and we want to see him succeed, even if it is in the AFC East, even if it comes at perhaps the expense of the New England Patriots. That's how we feel about him. And I think the idea that he's going to bring Chad O'Shea with him that tells me that he has a vision for what's going to happen on the offensive side of the ball. This might be a mirror image situation of the Sean McVay coaching staff, you know, out in LA where if the offense is on the field, what's Flores doing? He's sitting with his defense. He's got his back to the field because he's going to trust that they're going to take care of what they need to take care of. And he's going to get that sort of ability to sit down and make sure his defense is doing what they need to do, executing their assignments. I think schematically, you're going to see a lot of different looks from this defense. I think you're going to see some different pressure schemes, some different alignments up front. He this season showed the willingness to go anywhere from base 4-3 to 4-2-5 to 3-3-5 to 3-2-6, you know, to 4-1-6 to 3-1-7. I mean, he's shown you a ton from alignment, from personnel, from schemes from X's and O's. And so I think it's a very good hire. I know it might be viewed as somewhat of an outside-of-the-box selection as a head coach who hasn't even been a coordinator yet. But the fact that he was getting interviews last year and the word on the street was he sort of blew the doors off his interviews leads me to believe that the Dolphins might have hit a home run with this hire. Oh, man, you're speaking music to our ears over here in Dolphin land. Mark Schofield of Locked On Patriots talking to us about Brian Flores here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast. And before we move on real quick to Chad O'Shea, Mark, I got to ask you, you mentioned that, you know, you kind of, it's a rite of passage to become the defensive coordinator under Bill Belichick. Do you think that if Flores had not been hired by Miami, he would have gotten that promotion in 2019 to the, to the Patriots? I think it would have been a lock. I mean, I think with the job that he's done, and let's not forget, last year, you know, this is a New England Patriots team. They're making it to their third straight Super Bowl. But last year, that defense was a bottom five defense, you know, DVOA, yardage, per game by almost any metric other than say scoring defense it was a bad defense and they, we saw them get exposed in the Super Bowl when we got to you know the final four 
you know, conference championship weekend, you could have made the argument that, yeah, maybe the Patriots had the worst offense left out of four very good offenses, but they probably had the best defense left. And we've seen what they've been able to do this year. Yes, look, Miami hunts some points on them for sure. And Brian Flores, and this is another thing to remember about that Miami <laughs> game, you know, the miracle. Yeah. When they put Rob Gronkowski deep for that Hail Mary, it was a mistake, and Flores owned it. You should look up, you know, the conference call, the transcripts from after that game. You know, over at Patriots.com, you will see a man taking ownership of a mistake, and you can tell that he addressed it with his defense, with his team in the locker room after that. This wasn't a situation where they just go out and say, look, we didn't execute, or we put the players on the field, and they didn't get the job done. He took ownership of the mistake. That speaks volumes about the character of the man you guys are getting. And so I have no doubt in my mind that if the Dolphins, for whatever reason, passed on him, he would have gotten that defensive coordinator job and then had his pick of whatever job he wanted next year, you know, when the hot seat coaching carousel spun up again. Let's go ahead and shift gears here to the offensive side because you mentioned that he really is going to entrust Chad O'Shea to kind of execute the vision of the offensive side of the ball. And some of the Dolphins fans' concerns out there are the fact that he has never been a play caller in the in the NFL. He's been just a wide receivers coach for the Patriots for the last seven, eight years now. And I know they're buddies. I know they're tight. But they do have a lot of experience they're putting ahead of those guys in consultant-type roles. Like Jim Caldwell, for instance, has tons of experience. He will coach the quarterbacks. And there's other guys on the staff that have called plays as well. So Chad O'Shea, as far as your perspective, will he kind of bring over that similar ear Hart Perkins scheme they run in New England will it be something he has his own fingerprints on and do you think it's going to work out I understand some of the concerns and perhaps some of the hesitation with Chad O'Shea, who has been a wide receivers coach and hasn't had the title of offensive coordinator before, hasn't been technically a play caller before, but we'll get to that in a second. I think to your first point, he's going to bring that same Earn Perkins system. That's what he's going to cut his teeth under. You know, that's the system that he's been in with the New England Patriots for a while now. But I think the thing to remember is what the Patriots do with the guys that they're looking to promote at some point, they give them play called experience in preseason games. He's called preseason games before for New England, dating back for a couple of years now. They give him the chance to call the final preseason game so he gets that that feeling for it of putting together a game script of what it's like to go in you know, from drive to drive and set things up and things like that. So it's not like he's never sat down and put together a game script for. Another thing to keep in mind with how they use sort of their assistance he puts together their red zone packages their red zone reports and he's done a tremendous job over the years for that you look back at some of how the patriots have had success you know with the new england patriots they've been a very good offense in the red zone if you look at you know the do your job video that came out a couple of years ago after they beat atlanta in the super bowl you know mcdaniels you know heaped praise on o'shea and how he put together their red area report how he researches it how he's been responsible for that portion of their game plan and preparation for years and yes there were times when the patriots perhaps this season struggled a bit in the red area but for the most part they're a team that knows when you get inside that scoring area you get inside the 20 you got to put the ball in the end zone and they've been very effective of doing that and a big part of it is what o'shea's done from a game plan and then scouting perspective and so yes you're not getting somebody that has years of experience calling place yes you're not getting somebody that's been an offensive coordinator before but he knows the system inside and out it's a quarterback friendly system it's a receiver friendly system the terminology might take some getting used to but once they get that down i think he's going to have the offensive scheme in place and he's going to have some of what he needs from an experience standpoint both from calling some plays in limited time in limited spots as well as what he's done in sort of red zone prep to make this a better offense 
And we're going to come back on the other side of the podcast here with Mark Schofield, including what he's looking for from the rookie quarterback class when he ships off to Indianapolis for the scouting combine in a couple of weeks and who would be the best fit in Chad O'Shea's offense. We'll do all of that next, but first, a word from my bookie. And you guys know by now that ever since I started this podcast, I get asked for advice all the time. And usually it's about which team should I bet on this week, Travis. And the truth is, I don't always know who's going to win. But if you think that you know, you got to check out my bookie because remember, who you're betting on is just as important as who you're betting with. And that's why I always tell people to bet with my bookie, the best bet you'll make all season. They've been in business for years, have great reviews online, and their mobile site is very easy to use. Lay down some cash and win big today. I would only recommend a service to my listeners that has been good to me. That's why I'm urging you to make your way over to my bookie where you win, they pay. They have in-game live betting, the most rewarding player perks in the business. And for you fantasy guys out there, you can even bet the over under on how many fantasy points a player will score each game. Join now and MyBookie will match your deposit dollar for dollar when using promo code LOCKEDON to activate that offer. Visit MyBookie online today. That's M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E. And don't forget to use the promo code LOCKEDON when creating your account to claim that bonus. MyBookie. You play, you win, you get paid. And rolling back into segment number two here with Mark Schofield of the Locked On Patriots podcast, talking all things Brian Flores, Chad O'Shea, quarterbacks. We have the whole lot for you here on the Locked On Podcast Network. And before we turn it over to the quarterbacks, Mark, I got to ask you a question that usually reflects or refers to Tom Brady's legacy or when the hell he's actually going to retire and hang this dang thing up. But I keep mentioning in my columns on Twitter that no Belichick disciple with the Patriots has brought Patriot staffers with him, not a single one. So why do you think Belichick is now allowing his assistants to leave all of a sudden? Is there a retirement in the future? I don't know so much if there will be a retirement in the future because you could see a situation where if he does retire at the end of the season, the obvious replacement would be Josh McDaniels, in which case Chad O'Shea would get bumped up to offensive coordinator. And you sort of wonder if Chad O'Shea would, you know, know something like that and still be able to say, look, I'm going to leave town. I think what it more reflects is that perhaps Belichick has looked at some of the success or lack thereof of the guys that have left him you know, the Cronells, the Weisses and company and realize that, look, you know, they need some help too, you know, and that might speak to whether, you know, Belichick's starting to wonder about his legacy and the Belichick tree. Maybe it's how he feels about Flores. Maybe it's the re- relationship that Flores had was, has with O'Shea. Um, but I don't think it really speaks to sort of a retirement situation. I think if there's a person to watch for retirement at the end of Super Bowl 53. It's Rob Gronkowski. Sure. Um, I'm almost 50-50 right now that this is his last game, not just in a Patriots uniform, but in the NFL. You saw how happy he was during media night, and maybe that's just Gronk being Gronk. <laughs> but the the mileage on him, he's, he's a 29, soon to be 30, but it's a hard 29, and not because of the way he lives his life off the field or in the offseason, but because of the way he plays the position. You know, he's a hybrid offensive lineman, vertical threat, tight end. You know, he's a tremendous blocker, but that puts wear and tear on you. He's had injuries. He's had, he came into the league with back injuries. He plays the position with reckless abandon. And because of the new, you know, tackling rules, 
you know, guys are aiming low on him and, and that takes a toll as well. And so we've seen him labored at times, you know, you do sort of wonder if this might be it for him. So in terms of who might retire after this one, if you look at the big three, sort of Brady, Belichick and Gronkowski, I think Gronkowski would be, you know, the, the pick there. Uh, the interesting name got thrown into the mix of media night, which was Devin McCourty, who sure. sort of hinted at, you know, maybe this might be it for him too. And Patriots fans would be sad to he- see him go. He's been such a versatile defensive back for this team for so many years and a tremendous person, a man of character off the field. You know, it seems like every single season he's sort of, you know, one of the the Patriots representative for the Walter Payton Man of the Year award. He does so much away for the field from the charity perspective in the New England area and in the Foxborough community. And so, you know, if he steps away too, you know, that will be a tough person to replace, not just for what he means to the team on the field, but for what he means to the New England area off of it. Absolutely. I've always loved Devin McCourty, you know, even being a Patriot, he's always been, had my respect to the utmost. You mentioned Rob Gronkowski possibly moving on, probably the least of the three that we want to see go as Dolphins fans. But if the Dolphins are going to overtake the Patriots, Belichick, Brady, Gronk, McCourty, or not, they're going to have to find a quarterback. And this year's quarterback market is unique in the sense to me, Mark, that I think fewer teams this year really have a need to go out and find like the franchise quarterback. I, I would say there's probably five or six teams that are really, really, really going to be searching for sure on the quarterback market. Let's go ahead and start with the veterans here, this very lackluster group. What do you, what, where do you come in on this free agent group with you know Nick Foles about to get cut most likely, Joe Flacco, Teddy Bridgewater? Who do you like and where does the merry-go-round stop for some of these guys on that free agent market? You know, it is a strange group. I mean, I, I think in terms of the potential free agents, and I'm going to throw a trade name in there to keep in mind that I like the most. I like Bridgewater. I think Bridgewater would be a good fit, perhaps in a Chad O'Shea offense. I think he was somewhat miscast in North Turner's more downfield vertical passing game. I think when you saw him sort of in limited exposure with the Jets and sort of what they were doing for more of a, a West Coast type offense, and then obviously moving on to New Orleans, obviously just had the one start. But I think he's more suited to a short intermediate type of passing game, which is what you're looking at Chad O'Shea to potentially bring uh, to Miami. So I like him. Um, Flacco, I'm not that excited about. You know, the idea of Foles, he's going to get a big payday because of what he's done in the playoffs and what he's delivered to Philadelphia. But I still look at him as more of a, he's your long-term backup spot starter type. He's had some great seasons, but they've been in, you know, different offensive systems. I'm not so sure I'm willing to throw a big payday at him and have him fix our, our problems. The name I'm intrigued at from a sort of trade perspective is Jacoby Brissett. And obviously there are some Patriots ties there. Um, That's where he began his career. He had a win for New England on a Thursday night game on a short week against the Houston Texans. And then he gets traded to the Indianapolis Colts, basically because Andrew Luck has another lost season, gets traded to them right before the season. And while they didn't have a great season, you know, he stepped in and filled it admirably. And he took on sort of a leadership role for the Colts this year. They had that horrific start and they called together a players only sort of meeting that sort of jump started their turnaround. And Brissett was the guy behind it the guy that sort of put that in motion and that's a backup quarterback doing that. And that tells you sort of, you know, what he means to that team, what he meant to that locker room. And that's the type of player that from on the field to off, he has that sort of leadership role. And, you know, let's not forget that part of the reason that the Patriots drafted him was there. He had a big guy in his corner named Bill Parcells. 
Um, he checked all those sort of Parcells rules, yep. you know, that some people still swear by when it comes to drafting quarterbacks. And I think there is a future for him as a starter in the National Football League. And so I look at Bridgewater and Bissett as the two guys that if I were a team that needed a quarterback, say Washington, you know, maybe the Giants, if you're looking to move on from Eli Manning, maybe Jacksonville, maybe Miami, those were the guys I would go after. Certainly. I, I tend to lead towards Bridgewater because the fact they won't have to give up draft capital to get him. And I just wonder what the Colts would actually ask for because that backup quarterback is a valuable spot, especially when your guy's coming off of, you know, so many shoulder injuries and issues, even though Luck was healthy all year long. Let's go ahead and shift gears here to the group of quarterbacks that I'm more excited about. I think everybody is more excited about the draft quarterbacks than they are the veterans in this draft, Mark. Underclassmen, senior, whoever it might be, who is your favorite quarterback in this draft class right now? You know, I think right now it's probably Dwayne Haskins, the kid from Ohio State. I think he checks a lot of the boxes as to what you're looking for from an NFL quarterback. Maybe he doesn't fit sort of the athletic profile that a lot of people might be looking for with the way the game is trending. Um, but I think when you look at him as a as a pocket passer, I'd like to see him improve a little bit when it comes to facing pressure. Obviously, he doesn't have a ton of starts under him, but he does some things, you know, from a passing profile from the ability to push the ball downfield into tighter windows, the ability to make throws with accuracy and with velocity to all levels of the field, you know, that there's enough there to sort of get you excited about him. There was a player down in Mobile that I wasn't excited to see going in. I wasn't that high on his film, but I feel a little bit better now, and that's Drew Locke uh, from the University of Missouri. I think he's a little bit more of a scheme limited quarterback in a certain sense and that you know two years ago three years ago he was running basically Baylor's offense a lot of smoke routes hitch routes curl routes go routes stuff along the boundary outside the numbers Derek Dooley comes in they take on somewhat of a pro style flavor so there's a little bit more over the middle but it still wasn't enough to get me excited about him release points were inconsistent footwork was a mess a lot of fadeaway throws um, but he had a great week down on mobile um, certainly looked like the best quarterback down there um, so I'm pretty excited about him right now. Um, Jared Stidham, which is an interesting one because going into Mobile, I was not high on him at all. He was a player that if you had asked me at the beginning of this year, who do you think could rise? I would have said him in a heartbeat. I liked some of what he did in a limited offense at Auburn, um, but he had a bad last year at Auburn. And part of it, I think, was that offense. Um, the offense, I think, really sort of put the handcuffs on him. They didn't ask him to do a ton. Talent around him wasn't great. And what's amazing about Stidham in the week that he had, because he looked great throwing the ball, looked great with his decisions, with his ability to manipulate defenders. You know, got a chance to talk to him um, after the final day of practice, and I asked him what his favorite route concept to throw that week was, and he just basically laughed and said all of it. <laughs> and all that told me was that, look, man, he was loving life in Kyle Shanahan's offense as opposed to what he was running the year before. And so I think he had a very good week. Does he get into the first round mix? Probably not. Um, maybe he's more of a day two guy. But I was looking at him as maybe a late day three guy. So. He he certainly helped himself. Um, then there's Daniel Jones, and he's got some work to do as we look ahead to the combine because going into Mobile, he, he was a quarterback that a lot of people had maybe as uh, another first-round pick in this class. I also think he's a very scheme-specific quarterback. I think in a pure West Coast system, he might work well. Um, that's where he functions at his best from a decision-making standpoint. His placement in the short area of the field tends to be at its best. He seems to have pretty good understanding of leverage um, when you're making those short throws, hitches, slants, you know, those concepts that the Patriots like to run. Um, so I think he might fit what the Dolphins like to do. But the problem with him is he had a very bad week down in Mobile. And I'll sum it up this way. Um, that Wednesday day of practice was rained out due to weather. They moved it inside. Um, they only had access for just two NFL players 
per personnel people per team. And media couldn't watch it until that night on tape. So it wasn't until, you know, after dinner, you know, around 10 o'clock at night when I finally got my hands on the clicker at the hotel and got a chance to walk through what they were doing in practice. And I watched his seven-on-seven -seven session. And here were his first three throws. Quick speed out to the left that he misses by about three to five yards. Leads him too far. Second throw is a check down to the running back in the left flat. It's the right read, but he makes it way too slowly, stares it down a bit, and he gets pick sixth. The third throw is a comeback route along the left sideline that he stares down, takes two hitches, looks at it a bit more, sees his receiver fall down, still throws it, and it's a pick six. And that kind of summed up not just his day, but his week. He had a great senior bowl itself. He was named senior bowl MVP of the game. But the dark hidden secret of the senior bowl is everybody's gone by Thursday. You know, Monday, I mean, the Tuesday, Wednesday practices are packed. You've got NFL representatives are everywhere. Nobody's at Thursday practice. Everybody leaves because it's the practices that matter the most. And so his stock fell a bit. Um, he's going to need a you know, big sort of week down in Mobile. Then there's the X factor. And it's Kyler Murray. Yes, sir. And from a talent perspective, from what he can do as an athlete and as a thrower of the football, you can make the case that he's the best quarterback in this class. The issue is, and this is going to be why he's going to be such a hard evaluation for everybody that's evaluating quarterbacks this year. And I'm glad that I'm not – I don't have my job on the line when it comes to doing it. <laughs> Is that do you do you draft say in the top ten, the top fifteen, a sub five foot ten, sub one hundred and ninety pound quarterback that has the fallback option of playing baseball where he was drafted in the first round? It's a risky proposition. It's a decision that gets people fired. And you know, I've been talking to a lot of people around sort of the league, you know, other people in the media, and you know, we have to remember that the people making these decisions have mortgages, have kids at school, have, you know, bills that need to be paid. And this is why we sometimes see the NFL miss on quarterbacks is because if you make the safe decision to draft the safe quarterback that fits the mold and he doesn't pan out well, you might get fired a couple of years down the road, but you're going to get another job. If you break the mold and roll the dice on a Kyler Murray and he, you know, either doesn't play right away and then flips back to the A's or it doesn't work out well, you drafted a sub-foot 10-inch, 180-pound quarterback. You you had to have known it wasn't going to work out. It was a huge roll of the dice. And three years from now, you're selling insurance. I mean, that's <laughs> the kind of real-world implications that a decision like that has. And so he's the proverbial player that's going to get somebody fired. Either he's going to get somebody fired because they drafted him or he's going to get somebody to be fired because they passed on him. It's, it's a risky roll of the dice. And general managers, scouts – Player personnel people, they're risk-averse people. They'd rather be safe and make the safe mistake than roll the dice and miss wildly on a Kyler Murray. And so he's going to be a hard evaluation. From what he can do as an athlete, he has the talent to be a quarterback one. The size thing's going to be an issue. And the, the, the fact is the NFL is trending in the direction where he might be the type of quarterback that gets drafted first overall, but he might just be like a two or three years ahead of where the NFL is trending. So he might just be a bit before his time when it comes to playing pro football and playing a quarterback in the NFL. 
Well, I hope that's the case because I absolutely love the kid. I just I can't get enough of what he does on the All Twenty Two on on the you know the national champion or the the college football playoff games. Just the explosive electricity that he brings to the stadium. Miami has missed that for so so long now. And you mentioned like the risk adverse idea behind it, and, and I almost think the Dolphins that almost fits their mold because if they are actually going to adhere to Stephen Ross's claims that they're going to be a patient rebuild, he would make sense because if he flames out in a year or two, then they're right back in position to go after Trevor uh, Trevor Lawrence. Lawrence or Justin Fields. And if he works out, great. We're all flying and we're all happy. So some fantastic notes there, Mark. I don't want to let you go just yet. On the other side of the podcast here, I got to ask you who would be the best fit in this entire offseason market of quarterbacks in Chad O'Shea's offense. We'll do that next here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast at Weekly NFL, at Locked On Fins, and Mark is at Mark Schofield. Okay, Mark, we're back here with segment number three, talking about Chad O'Shea, new Dolphins offensive coordinator. We talked a lot about his scheme, his system, his play calling, his overall in charge mentality of the offense in Miami under Brian Flores. We just talked about the quarterbacks coming up in the draft as well as free agency. We talked about Teddy Bridgewater, Kyler Murray, all that fun stuff and connections to the Dolphins. You said that uh, Teddy Bridgewater would be the best fit in the Dolphins offense as well as possibly... Who was the other one you mentioned with me? Give me a give me a Jacoby Brissett. Jacoby Brissett. The same system, yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. In the draft, who would you say is the best fit for the for the Chad O'Shea offense we're gonna see in Miami? You know, it's weird because a lot of these quarterbacks, they're not running sort of timing and rhythm-based systems with the exception of a guy that I'll mention, but he's not going to get people excited. You know, there are two guys that I think run a very similar system to what, you know, the Patriots run right now. There are guys that I've identified for New England as potential picks on, say, day two, day three, and that's Brett Rippon from Boise State, Ryan Finley um, from North Carolina State, got a chance to see Finley down at at the senior ball. Velocity looked better than I expected. Talked to him, seems like a film nerd. Um, so I love that. We were talking some route concepts and things like that, which is super cool. Um, but you're not going to see those guys come off the board before, I think, day three. And so Dolphins fans probably don't bank on those guys being the savior. They might end up being the savior, um, but it's more likely that Miami, if they're going to address quarterback, it's going to be earlier. Out of the guys we've talked about, you know, I think – Stidham and Jones might be the two guys that would perhaps fit the system the best. I think, you know, when he's looked his best, Jared Stidham makes timing and rhythm throws like so that are so critical to the New England offense. You know, whereas Jones is at his best, but he's running sort of those West Coast concepts. You know, you're running tosser, which is double slant, which is a Patriot staple. You're running sort of, you know, gaudy, which is an out route on the outside and an option route on the inside. That's, that's a Patriot staple. That's something that he's been running. And so while he had a bad week in Mobile, I could see that working. You know, if O'Shea starts to think outside of the box and starts to really sort of modernize what New England has been doing, obviously you're not really running a modern sort of spread offense with Tom Brady, Murray might make some sense in it, you know, because of the athleticism that he would bring to the table. It just then gets us back to the previous discussion is, you know, how comfortable are you drafting him? early enough that it makes sense for him to forego the baseball option and play, you know, quarterback in the NFL and turning the keys over to him. You know, it's going to be sort of a learning curve for him. It's going to be a process. You do run this sort of size risk where, you know, the height and the weight, you know, we don't see, you know, we were talking a lot in the stands at Mobile that the most important place for him 
in Indianapolis that's Kyler Murray is the scale. Yeah. You know, because if he steps on the scale and somehow by some miracle, because we've been told he's sub 5'10", if he checks in at, say, 5'10", 205, and he's looked a little bit bigger, you know, we saw that shirtless video of him throwing with Antonio Brown, looked a little yoked up in the upper body. If he hits those numbers, you know, then you're into more Russell Wilson territory. And so it's not an extreme outlier. You've at least got somebody in the league right now that's done it at an elite level and that has won a Super Bowl. That changes the calculus. I know it seems silly that... You know, 12 pounds and an eighth of an inch might make that much of a difference. But then you, that gets you from Russell Wilson to Doug Flutie, you know, and do you draft a Doug Flutie in the first round? Even with the way offenses are trended, it's still a difficult decision. And so if he steps on the scale and some Wilson size, then it changes it. I think it's a much more defensible decision to draft him in the first round. Yeah, absolutely agree with you on that. And that you mentioned that shirtless video where he's all jacked up. That one was pretty exciting to see as far as his build and just the overall makeup of what his, I guess, genetics are in that build. So, Mark, I did want to ask you about some senior bowl players outside of the quarterbacks, but we've ran pretty long on this one. So I'll go ahead and cut it off right there. Again, he is at Mark Schofield on Twitter. You guys can find his work all over the place. Host of the Locked On Patriots podcast. Mark, thank you so much for all the knowledge, brother. It was great. Trap, it's always a pleasure to be with you, buddy. Um, whenever you need me, whenever the Dolphins make a quarterback decision, whenever they narrow it down, whatever you need, buddy, you know where to find me. Outstanding. And I wish I could tell you good luck on Sunday, but you and I both know I don't mean that. <laughs> I, look, I, if you had said it, I wouldn't have believed it. So I appreciate you being upfront and honest, my friend. All good, brother. Have a good night, my man. You too, my friend. And off he goes. And we were going to talk about some other positions at the Senior Bowl. But we simply ran too long, and I'm not complaining about that because that was some very great information about the quarterbacks, Brian Flores and Chad O'Shea. But we are very beholden to a 23- to 28-minute time limit here on the podcast. So with that, I'm going to send you guys off. But Mark did say off the air that he anytime would come back and talk about his Senior Bowl notes. So keep an eye out for that. Probably next week, I'll get Mark back on the podcast to talk about other positions outside of the quarterback from the Senior Bowl in Mobile. But as for this podcast, you guys know how it goes. That is my time. If you have a smart speaker available to you, just say play Locked On Dolphins podcast to get the latest and greatest from Locked On Dolphins and the Locked On Podcast Network. Please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. And keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your night. Talk to you tomorrow for another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football.